The Sisu Way, Episode 17, Death Lessons with Dan Clark. I want to die. I never thought I'd say those words. I've always thought of myself as a positive, glass-half-full type of guy. I had what most people would consider a good life. I was fit, healthy, had a big house, drove a German car. Then on Wednesday, December 18th, 2013, my world changed. I had a heart attack. In an instant, I went from a world where everything seemed possible to a world where I knew nothing was for certain. As a lifelong athlete, former professional football player, and American gladiator, I'd always put a tremendous value on health, fitness, and what I could do with my body. The heart attack wasn't only a derailment of my life. It shattered the entire definition of who I was. I was weak, fragile, broken. I believed life would never be good for me again, and I thought I couldn't live life on my own terms. Then there wasn't any point of going on. The day after the heart attack, lying in my hospital bed, miserable, out of my mind, I uttered those four words. I want to die. During the course of our lives, many of us will have something tragic happen suddenly. It could be a cancer diagnosis, a sick child, a divorce, a business deal gone badly, or something as heartbreaking as a dream that goes unfulfilled. It's difficult to find strength in the face of adversity. Yet, we've all hit hard times. We've all struggled. We've all fallen down. The question is, what do we do when these things happen? For every setback, there's a chance to make a comeback and rise again. The human spirit has an amazing capacity to persevere. I've seen it happen time and time again. But for me, it was more about more than just coming back. It was about coming back transformed coming back as a better man. This is The Sisu Way, a show about grit, character, life philosophy, fitness, leadership, service, and what it means to choose strength. My name is Scott McGee. I'm a family man, friend, thinker, guardian, and a peaceful warrior with an open mind and an unconquerable soul. Now, the intro to this episode is actually the, the, in the introduction of Dan's new book, F Dying, How Cheating Death Kicked My Ass Into Loving, Learning, and living my best life. Well, welcome to the show. And something I want to I want to point out real quick. And one simple question: Why are you alive? You know, that's Scott. Thank, first of all, thanks for having me be here. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, you know, that's a that's a difficult question to answer. So, why are you alive? So that has changed throughout time. You know, for me, I think I'm alive now to be of service. I know that's a very cliche thing, but there came a time uh, after the heart attack where helping other people achieve things became as great or not greater than my own joy of achieving. So I think I'm alive to be in service, whether it's being in service to my career, my family and friends, to lifting someone up you see on the street. Um, but I think it's to be in service. And it's to live, and it's to feel, and it's to love. So maybe service, live, love, and uh, to feel. And the reason I, 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 that phrase stood out to me is because they were very big components of, in different ways, in both of your books. So in your first, first book, Gladiator, and your your second book here, F Dying. So I spent a lot of time reading both of those. And 
I read Gladiator years ago after coming on the podcast, and it had like a, a actually a pretty profound effect on me. And there are certain things, obviously, I learned about your brother and what you went through as a kid in there. And that's something that you covered in both your books. Um, and for the listeners, I don't know if that's something you can necessarily paraphrase, but you, you saw your brother electrocuted when you were 10 years old. Yes, I was 10 and uh, he was 11 and a half. And my brother was my hero. He's my idol. You know, I was very comfortable in his shadow. He was everything that I was, and he was the athlete, he was the handsome one, he was the charismatic one, and he was also the one who was with me through the divorces, through moving to different homes, through you know, going to different countries, uh, living with our father in Vietnam when I was uh, eight and he was 10, and uh, losing him, I think at that moment I became the person who I am today, and a first part of my life was trying to survive. You know, when you lose somebody, that's everything to you. Um, you try to survive. You try to find your place in the world. And I didn't have a come from a family where, you know, my mom's Asian, my dad's a uh, you know, military guy, busy. Uh, they divorced when I was four, four. So I didn't have anybody, you know, when I was 10 or 11 to say, hey, Dan, this is going to be okay. Hey, Dan, this is what you need to do. It's going to hurt for a real long time. But uh, eventually, the pain's going to go away, and the love you feel for your brother, and the pain you the pain you feel for your brother, is a testament to what you love him. You know how much you love him. So I didn't have any of that. I just, you know, shut up and got quiet and tried to find my place in the world. Um, you know, and then eventually, I learned through the process of l losing him and growing up and finding my own way in the world. I learned that there's a thing that people can suffer from, and it's survivor's guilt. And it didn't really hit home until I saw that movie, uh, Ray, uh, with Jamie Foxx. And Ray, Charles, lost his brother when he was young, and he was, you know, felt so guilty, and he realized that his whole entire life, he worked so hard, he did everything so hard, because he was living for two. He had to prove that he was the one who deserved to live. So I had to prove that to myself, and I still prove that every day because 40 years later, I still weep about my brother. I still miss him. Um, and again, that's just, to me, a testament of, uh, of how much I loved him. So now, and there was also another component to that, which was I medicated. I self-medicated a lot, and I didn't know what it was. To me, it was just partying. You know what I mean? To me, it was drinking, smoking, you know, all those things we do. Uh, I didn't really realize it was self-medicating until back in you know the late mid '90s when I was at the height of you know success, at least in the material sense, where I was on TV every night. I was on the cover of magazines and you know going to New York, uh, selling out Madison Square Garden on our tour. I, I realized that at my happiest times, what I wanted to do was drink, do drugs, and I would get so annihilated that there were times I'd be laying on the ground weeping. You know what I mean? I thought, like, I got everything I want. And I just would get so drunk and so high where I'd just be laying there and weeping. And, you know, I got 28 years old. That's when I knew that something was wrong, uh, that I needed to fix something outside, that you can have everything you want externally. You can have the cars, the homes, everything. But unless you are whole inside, it's never going to feel that way. Yeah, you're so... 
I kind of want to break. I want to break this down in, into a little bit of segments here, but in essence, and I actually just was talking to Greg Almondson about that. Um, you know, the original CrossFit Firebee there in his book, The Warrior and the Monk, and he talks about that struggle between cause and effect, but also it's singularly focused on on uh, focusing on how you feel about yourself on accomplishments or on the creations, not the creator and what's inside you. Now, well, I'm going to wrap up. A lot of times, you know, and I, I talk about this in the, the TED Talk I just did, is we tie our happiness to what we achieve, and we achieve in order to be happy. And the problem is that happiness is usually short-lived, right? Because as soon as you go out and achieve that, hey, you get the job, you get the promotion, you, you get the girl, you know, that you're dreaming about, all of a sudden, you're only happy for a moment because you're off chasing the next big thing, right? So I, I understand what he was saying. I'm going I'm to quote you. Um, happily achieve instead of achieving to be happy. Yes, definitely. And, <laughs> so, and, and, and that's a process, though. And it took me a long time to understand that. Now, I was always tied to the outer successes. Oh, man, you did that? Yeah, and I'd feel good. But it was never that meaningful because it, it's an insatiable desire when you trace, chase gratification. And that's what those things are. They're things you can eat, taste, touch, own. It's, it's gratification. But when you start to practice gratitude, that's when your life changes. I'm going to back you up a little bit to, to a few different segments that I'm going to view your life. I can see you're very methodical about this. I will well, sit because, down for the ride. Because I, I purposefully have a story at the end. Okay. And, and the goal of that is, is also to paint the picture and then also give you perspective of what I've noticed about you. And maybe you know this stuff, maybe you haven't. Well, to start, have you read that book recently? And I'm, I'm referring to the, your first book. The Gladiator, Gladiator book. So that book was uh, nine years ago, I think. Uh, I glance at it every once in a while um, just to get a, a reminder of where I've been. Okay, good. That's my point. Having, knowing you, having you know, watched your not-yet-released TED Talk uh, and, and studying F Dying, which is, I almost feel like, like I wrote it because of a lot of the same words, which I'm going to share with you in a second. And then going back and reading that book is like almost like two different people, and you see you see the parts of what you see the parts of you now, but a little bit like of a shell of it, not yet out yet in this book. So I, I made some some oh very cool uh, some connections there, but I, I want to talk about who who you were right, and so and the reason I'm pointing this stuff out is culturally speaking. So you talk about. Um, you know, at some point in this book, Gladdy, you're talking about how you, you were a chubby kid, uh, uh, lessons learned in keeping your emotions inside, uh, not crying. You had, you had that, that thing that you talked about in Gladiator. Um, big boys with a, don't cry. Right? In, in the plane, and you're four years old, and you have a guy telling you that big boys don't cry and how muscles make you strong and invulnerable. So, so let me give you the context on yes. that. So the context was my parents had just gotten divorced and my father got custody of my, my brother and I and my mom got custody of my sister. So my father was shipping us across the country and I was being separated from my mother. And I was weeping and crying at four years old and I was inconsolable. And I got on the plane, they couldn't get me to stop crying. Uh, and then there was this guy on the plane and the guy walks up, uh, sees me weeping and he says, Hey, are you a big boy? And I said, yeah. And, and he says, let me see your muscle. So I flex my muscle and that little pee thing shot up and he goes, wow, you're a big boy. You have a big muscle. And he said, 
big boys don't cry. So I took that lesson to heart. And I remembered it as one of those cornerstone moments who, that shaped me and, and who I would become. And that is something, and so as, as you can, the reason I'm bringing that up now to later on, because you see a, a lot of my stuff here, I say vulnerability is strength. And I think there's that, a little bit of a mask that sometimes gets ripped off of us when it comes to being okay with vulnerability and later on dancing and being okay in spandex. And we're going to get into that. So you're going to see where I'm going to build this, okay? Uh, but also you had the, the you, you talked about, you know, Japanese culture, uh, obviously relationships with friends and what it, as a little boy trying to figure out what it is to be a man. Um, but as a, as a young kid, you also went through a ton of trauma, a lot of suffering, you know, with, and again, it's really laid out in detail in, in, in Gladiator, but in regards to, you know, alcohol, violence, prostitution, um, relationships, parents breaking up. There's a whole lot of stuff that kids are not necessarily supposed to go through at the same time trying to figure out how to navigate life in a proper, proper, meaningful way. So ultimately with a lot of people that, that brings out a, a void that some people fulfill. Sometimes they don't know that they're fulfilling it or they don't even know it's there. So hopefully there's some people out there that eventually will listen to this and help them figure out that maybe that that's something that might be going on with them or something somebody close to them might be going through it. So stick around, folks. We're going to lay out reasons or, 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 or ways to um, pull yourself out of that. But also in my notes here, as, as I was reading your books, um, you know, with your brother, it was the last time you had prayed. And I, and I made a, a specific, specific note here and how later, 40 years later, how you came back to it. Yes. So... so uh, but then you got into sports and how the sports started to define you, started giving you um, a place in this world, started def- kind of giving you that like identity. So, you know, at first when I started sports at, uh, you know, maybe she's not eight, nine, ten years old when I moved back to the United States, uh, sports were something that my family wanted me to do. You know, so I, I went and did them. Uh, I wasn't very good at anything. The first time I went and played ball, baseball, I tried out for baseball. I went out there. They hit the ball, in the, and I was in the outfield. I missed it. It hit me in the head, and I started crying. I started boxing. Well, I didn't start crying, but I was like, oh, I don't want to play this anymore. Then um, I went to try boxing, and I tried to boxing. A kid headbutted me in the lip, and I said, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And then the idea of football came up. Uh, the reason I picked football was because it gave me a chance to hide under my helmet. No one got to see me, you know, and I was a chubby kid and I had no self-confidence and I, you know, I didn't feel good about myself. So I thought it was a way to hide. But in Pop Warner, you have to make weight, junior college, you know, junior All-American football. So problem was I couldn't make weight. I was too fat. So if you don't make weight playing football, they put you on the sidelines dressed in the uniform in this special area where the fat kids who are too fat to play have to stand. Yeah, so it's like fat shaming. So here I am wanting to hide, and all of a sudden I'm being singled out there. Um, But I will tell you something that profound had happened to me where everything changed. It was when I was 13 years old. And when I was 13 years old, I read my first book on personal growth. And it came about through a guy who was a hypnotherapist who was renting space at my dad's office. And he started talking about the power of the mind. And you can imagine things and your body doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's not. 
He said, you can even hypnotize somebody and you can tell them this pencil's hot and their skin and touch it to their skin and their skin will react in a way like they were burnt. I said, oh my God, really? So he introduced me to this book called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. And that first personal growth book took me off like a rocket ship because they talked about visualization. They talked about seeing yourself successful. And at that time, 13 years old, I hadn't been good at shit. I had never been good. I never felt good about myself until I started to picture it in my mind. And I went my freshman year from quitting football halfway through the season because I wasn't playing at all to my sophomore year, I rejoined the team and I went from that quitter to MVP in one year. And the only thing I did different was I started to see myself successful in my mind in a very sensorial, vivid way. And I worked my ass off. But that one mind, body, spirit connection made all the difference. It's something I do today. Do you also, um, I, I, I point this out for some reason, not on purpose, but it keeps coming up. And that is you're visualizing it, but also through your visualizing, you're also understanding your why and understanding what you want to do and what gives you, um, well, perceived happiness, right? Because if you're fulfilling, well, if you're fulfilling your why, ultimately that's going to make you happy and the, the best at what that thing is. Yes. I, you know, I, look, I, I've, for the last 25 years, I've been vacillating back and forth between meditation and visualization. And I, they're very separate, but they're also very connected. And what they all are attempts to get past the analytical mind to the place where we can create what we want in our life. So to get to the past the analytical mind, you know, breathing, uh, relaxing your body, clearing your mind is a way to do it. And then putting in the images of things you want to experience in your mind. So it may not be winning an Oscar. It may just be like, you know, imagining and seeing yourself get along successfully with your wife. Or maybe you're going to a meeting and it turns out well. And they can also go on to bigger things. So every morning, almost every morning, you know, I meditate or visualize in some way. I have this routine lately where I go up to Fryman Canyon over in Studio City is where I live and I put my headphones on and I listen to motivational stuff. You know, I listen to the patent speech. I listen to uh, this impact theory motivation podcast and I listen to them. And because I believe the key to making change in your life is being in the right state. And I know we're getting off on change, but, and then, but it goes back to well, I'll let you go on before because I know you have this segmented out. Well, it can always be broken down into external versus an external trip versus a, a journey inward. And so earlier, early on in your life, outside of that book, but it sounded like you had a lot of stuff that was very externally driven and that is what your accomplishments is what created happiness within you. And it was also kind of filling that void. Um, Another thing I wrote in my... Well, well, Scott, you know, imagine this. Imagine you've never really done anything yeah. right that you feel good about yourself and all of a sudden a coach patches you on the back, pats you on the back, says, good job, son. And then that, you're like, oh my God. Absolutely. That actually felt amazing. And we still need to lift people up every day. You know, I'm a big believer in that. And then that goes from, you do, you make a great play instead of a game in high school 
and the fans are cheering. Oh my God, if you've never felt that adulation, it's like a drug. And unless you have something deeper inside of you, you learn to try to live for that adulation, for that applause. But in most people's lives, especially athletes' lives, that comes to an end. Absolutely. I, I used to go to a sauna prior to Pop Warner football games. You know, just to try to try and lose weight to make that weight. Uh, I grew up playing sports. That's what my dad drove me to do. Um, I played college football. I I missed a year with a torn hamstring. You know, I you know I did too. A a torn hamstring. We both had torn hamstrings. And it completely cracked my identity. I didn't know. I went through depression. Um, I lived with football players. I I started getting. I used to walk down the liquor store and get three 30-ounce Miller High Life, the champagne of beers. And I, was, <laughs> and I would drink those. I would drink those before even going out, trying to like, I didn't know who I was. I started getting like skinny fat. Um, I started blaming other people. I started blaming the trainers for my hamstring. I started, so our journeys are not much different. And so I'm trying to tell a story through you, but I'm in the same path, and it's probably why it resonates a lot with me. Um, I started going to an AA meeting for injured athletes. I didn't know there was such a thing. Yeah. What, what's it called? It was through a sport. The sport it was a sports psychologist that did it. Wow, that's interesting. And then sports psychology is a thing. I actually, um, after college, looked into doing that as a career because of that. In, because I, I started going to it, and there's there's people from volleyball. There were swimmers there. They're all everyone within like a sports background that were injured, and it cracked them. They didn't know who they were anymore. Because if you're not, if you're not you know, for us, well, I, th- I still think that's true. You know, what is your identity beyond that football player, beyond that uh, CrossFitter? What is your identity? Who are you? Yeah, you know, that is that conversation comes up with me a lot because when people think about a police officers or law enforcement, they think that's who they are. And I always tell people, I was like, hey, I don't, I, I don't identify as a law enforcement officer. And I ask people, I was like, hey, do you think of me that way? I'll ask you right now. Do you when you do you think of me as a well, I've never actually seen you as a police officer. But I've never seen you at work. I've never yeah. encountered you on the street. I, so it's hard for me to be uh, very objective. As, yeah. as I know you, you're the guy who does yeah. the Wadpad, Wadcast podcast. You're, yeah, a fa- you're a father. Good. You're, you're a husband. You're a pretty strong dude. <laughs> I got more hair than you. Yes. Just well, because no, you I shave just, your head. I just cut <laughs> But that, that's who I know you have. So it, the context is hard. So here's... But I also know you as a guy who's, um, you know, similar to my journey, who's got a lot of the physicality to him, but is looking to understand something a bit deeper inside to what makes us a human being, what makes us a man, what are the secrets to living a happy, fulfilled, meaningful life? Yes, that's what I identify as. I identify as a good man first, and, and that good man can be broken down into a man that's lucky a man that's full of gratitude, a man that is happy because I choose to be. So that's kind of like the identity that I have now. I didn't have that before. And so if you can identify that as a happy person that believes in themselves, that's what that sign up there is. It's temet noske. means know thyself and have a good relationship with yourself, uh, to love yourself, to lead yourself. But I didn't have that so much uh, when I was younger. And sometimes it gets... Well, I, I, th- I think, you know, now it's a different time. Now there's guys like of us, you know, and uh, tons of other guys, not tons, but a lot of other guys like us who have the hard-earned wisdom, you know, being in their 40s and their 50s of yes. growing up in that life, you know, where the bravado, 
you know, being the best, winning at all costs, you know, uh, kill your enemies. <laughs> you know, we grew up with that culture, but now I, I see it's different. I see it's different now, man. You know, it's, it's a different time and there's a new wave of things coming in, not only with men in sports, but also the way we are appreciating and elevating and lifting women up and seeing them as our, as our equals. Because I wasn't raised that way. You know, I, I was raised to objectify women for their beauty. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, last 15, 18, 20 years where I've been saying, oh, okay, this is a relationship. This is love. This is partnership. This is companionship. What does that mean? How does it fit in my life? And it's been a, it's been a real eye-opening and, you know, welcoming experience. Do you think also that, I mean, because I think it definitely starts... Because all those things you could say about yourself, to start having a relationship with yourself, to recognizing yourself, to loving yourself. Because if you don't have that stuff, if you don't respect your stu yourself, how, how can you tend to respect, in this case, women? Uh, yes and no. Okay, so two parts, and I'll unpack this a little bit for, you, for us. Um, one, you're saying, how can you respect someone else without respecting yourself? I had a lot of self-respect for myself. I was environmentally raised to objectify women. That's what my dad did. My dad had a lot of girlfriends. Even when yep. he was married, he brought us around him. And so through those environmental circumstances, I thought that's what relationships are. Yeah, true. Right? And I had, a, you know, I had a lot of respect for myself. I just didn't know there was another way. You know? And then I got to a certain age thinking like, you know what? You know, stepping out on your relationship, that's not cool. You know what I mean? It's, it's not cool. Uh, and it became a gradual process, but it goes back to anything that's good that's ever come in, into my life is through the dedication of self-improvement, personal growth. And I'm an avid reader. I'll read 30 to 40 books a year. And they're mostly in the personal growth field mm -hmm. because I'm all about human optimization. I don't just mean physically. I'm about that too. You know, I want to know if I have fasting is better. I want to know if ketogenic diet's better. I want to know, you, you know, uh, the most bioavailable form of curcumin to take. But on the other side, I also want to know how to operate in the world as a man, as a human being, where I can be happy, where I can be a good father, a good friend, a good brother, a good son, and be someone who the world was better because I was in it. Uh, it reminds me of a song. I think I told this to Christmas Abbott as well. Uh, a song by Beyonce called um, I Was Here. Just check it out. I think you'll really enjoy not the song, but also the lyrics. I will. I will. Because we talked about I think that we talked about mentorship. I brought that up in the beginning. But you know, even every piece of media I do, especially if I'm coming on this podcast with you, and I, and I bring it, and I like to say the audience should know something they didn't know before and have the ability to apply that knowledge to help them succeed. See, when I first started to get any recognition, it was, you know, all about me. You know what I mean? What can I be? What can I get? What can I, and every conversation I would have with someone, I'd be like kind of thinking, okay, they work for this person. What can they do for me? How can I get them to do that? And now it's, it's interesting that I, I think, we make a change. We make a change from being Luke Skywalker to Yoda. And I'm definitely at the Yoda phase now, you know, where I consult with a lot of people and I help a lot of people and I coach people. 
not not physically, but I coached them in self improvement, self discipline, happiness. And I, it's what's so interesting to me is with some of the women I work with, how hard it is for them, Scott, to believe they're beautiful, to say the simple words, you know, I am beautiful. It brings up emotion. They weep. They're so, everyone, especially the females, they go through this more than men do. You know, if you look at a guy and you say, dude, <laughs> your gut, what's going on, bro? They're like, oh man, shit, you know, <laughs> hitting the beers. Yeah, I better get back to the gym. You look at a girl and you say, uh, well, sweetheart, God, your gut's kind of hanging over your shorts, so you got a little muffin top. Destroys them. They're so, I find that girls are so busy comparing themselves to, you know, in this Facebook, social media world, Instagram mm -hmm. of what these model, airbrush models look like. But every single person, and I tell this with the, the girls I work with, you're beautiful. There's something beautiful inside of you. Your eyes are beautiful. The light that shines isn't beautiful in you. And one of the biggest things I think we need to fix with, when it comes to girls is just to let each girl see that they have beauty inside of them because every woman does. Right, so I think I wrote, where's my little equation here? I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to the... But. Oh, to unpack that second part, yes, you have to love yourself first. I find, and I give that yep. advice, love yourself first, and everything else has a way of working out. That's the starting point. Uh, and that comes from Josh Montz, who was recently on the podcast. Uh, from, he has a book called The Beauty of a Darker Soul. Uh, he says that loving yourself is leading yourself. And his is a very interesting story, hmm. like incredible guy. He, he got, um, he was shot... Uh, overseas, oh snipe around for the moral artery, ended up flatlining for 15 minutes and brought back to life. So in a way, what did he learn through death? Like, what are his death lessons? And so that's part of the, one of the little statements that he said. Um, but check him out. But I, here I wrote an equation. G plus A equals H. Gratitude, appreciation equals happiness. Um, a little bit of connection. And, I, and the reason I, I, I said, why are you alive? Because... I don't know if you realize it, but that's a theme in both of your books and from was, you know, you know, several years apart. This book talks about it. Your therapist, right? It was asking why are you alive? And then this book, you're talking about why are you alive? Eventually, eventually you say, what could I be? Which is a turning point, right? You even go back a little bit f further in here. You wrote that the joke is I'm the one who lived. So going back and reading a lot of the stuff that you, you used to write and contemplating why why you? Why are you the one that lived? Why are you alive? All the way to this guy now and the guys in front of me. It became, it's almost like it became clear. I don't know if you have the answer yet or you feel it, but I do. Uh, and what do you feel? I feel that you have you are alive to bring the light out in others and to lift other people up. I, I think that's. Uh a good definition of my, where I am at now in my life. It wasn't, again, there's some dark days. It wasn't always that way. But yeah, I think that's a, I think that's. Um, and there's a couple other uh, things you, you said in here. Okay, so the heart attack, um, you know, it was like a thing that happened to you, right? You know, why me, why me? And the way I kind of perceived it, it was almost like, uh, like your mask of masculinity or the, whatever mask that you were wearing or pretending to be uh, was taken off and you're able to see. And I, and I kind of say that because in circling back to your, your other book, you said, I'm a man hiding in plain sight, pretending to be a human being. 
Mm-hmm. And that's certainly not what you are now. I don't think I don't think you're pretending anymore. I think through through this lesson in dying and the gift of life is that now you're actually it's like a, you're like Benjamin Button. Now you become like a, <laughs> like, a, like a like a young human. Not saying you weren't before. You know what? But it's becoming let, clear. Let, let me say, I th- it was the heart attack was the pivotal moment, but it was the twenty years of personal growth work yep. that allowed me to actualize and see that and to be able to make the jump to use everything I've experienced and learned over those twenty years. Yeah, it's hard to. It's a collection of moments, right? A collection of experiences. Um, but, and I think we, we talked about this on the phone is, see, I, 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 oh, I say yeah. this, I, I've said this, I say this a lot and, and, uh, I say sports taught me about life, but almost dying taught me how to live. Yep. Right. Cause I, sports taught me about teamwork. They taught me about working hard. They taught me if I wanted something in life, I was second string. I wanted to be first string. There was a system to go do that. It, it, it taught me camaraderie. It taught me so much. But dying taught me more about how to live in the kind of person, human being, and man that I want to be. Now, a couple of things I'm going to string the, the, the conversation going forward. One of them is going to be based off of health is wealth. That's another thing I say all the time. And I want to share your story about your ability to walk after your heart attack, how hard it was, but how like the small things really mattered. Even... So if you don't mind, just kind of tell the listeners even what it was like walking down the stairs. So when I first got back from the hospital after the heart attack, the doctors, they warn you. They say, you know, don't lift anything heavy. Be careful walking down, downstairs, upstairs, because it can give you a heart attack. I'm like, oh, God. So the first day home from the hospital, I'm laying in my bed. And my whole goal for that day was to walk down the 22 stairs to my refrigerator, touch it, and not die. And that was a big, big, big difference from my old goals, you know, winning an Oscar, buying a, you know, seven figure house, et cetera, et cetera. So I remember propelling myself to get up and I remember standing on top of the stairs. And that was my goal for the day is to walk down those stairs. And I took each step. I took my first step and I took a deep breath in, did a self inventory, said, okay, I took a second step, breath in. I did that all the way down to the 22 stairs, got to the refrigerator, touched it, sat back in the chair. And as I sat back in the chair, the sun hit my face through the window. And I wondered like, wow, how could I ever take that sun for granted? And I also learned that that goal for that day, accomplishing that simple little thing felt like, you know, winning the CrossFit games. And each day, I think, you know, for my comeback, each day I pushed my reach a little further than my grasp. The second day, my whole goal for the day was to walk downstairs and touch my mailbox and not die. The third day, it was to touch my neighbor's door. The fourth day, it was to touch the stop sign in the corner. And I think when anybody's dealing with struggles and setbacks, I think what they try to do is they look at the end. They look, oh, I want to be back like this. But what helps in anything you're struggling with is to look at the next steps you can take today, given your circumstances, and then take those steps and build upon that. You know, each day with, when you're struggling with something, or if they're struggling with something in your life, building a business, getting a divorce, whatever it may be, what are your stairs? You know what I mean? What is that thing that you need to do for that day to get you to the next step? And I got news for you. 
99% of that time, you're not going to feel like it. You know, people think, you know, oh, I'm going to get so motivated. I'm going to be so pumped. I'm going to go do this tomorrow. Tomorrow comes. You don't have that activation energy. And I don't think people tell this, tell us this. They tell you, you're going to feel motivated. You're going to be pumped. You're going to go do it. Just do it. Bite down and do it. They don't tell you that you're not going to feel like it. But when you realize that that's the truth, you're not going to feel like it and that you need to push yourself out just a little bit, take those first steps to get that activation energy. And then once you continually build and have that activation energy and get yourself to take action, that builds something we call confidence. A lot of people think people are born with confidence. I don't think they are. I think they learn confidence based upon past successes. And if you don't have big successes, you build those little damn successes every single day. You build walking down the stairs, touching the refrigerator. You touch your doorstep. You keep going further, further, and further. And you focus on that. And before you know it, you're where you want to be. Have you seen that uh, commencement speech? I forget the name of it. The guy's talking about making the bed every morning. Oh, the, the Navy SEAL yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah I, I, okay, so morning routines. I am 100% about morning routine. I find my best days are when I have a good morning routine. My morning routine is wake up, water, 24 to 32 ounces. Sometimes I'll put a, a little splash of uh, sodium, you know, Himalayan sea salt or not. Then it's 10 to 12 minutes of journaling. I just write. When you wake up, that's when you're in the best touch with your uh, deeper subconscious thoughts. And I just get down and write for 10 or 15 minutes. And then I go into a gratitude journal. I gratitude journal. And then I like to go for a walk. I like to go, like lately it's been Fryman. I listen to motivational stuff. I get myself into a state, the state I want to be by hearing things that inspire me, pump me up. And then I go get into my day. When I don't have that morning routine, the negative thoughts come. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to be? You know, nobody cares. Why? You know, I get these negative thoughts and I start worrying. So for me, the best way to do anything is to start with a solid morning routine to set yourself up to win the day. You know, um, you talked about those stairs, right? And, and focusing on that next step. Now, if I could just add one little layer, because this is what also what I'm seeing, and that is to have complete and utter gratitude and appreciation for the ability to stand, the ability to have two feet, the ability to have toes to help you balance, if you, for your hand to reach out and be able to grab a railing because you have five fingers, because you have a thumb, that you can actually, and not only that, you can actually feel the railing, that you can breathe, that your heart is pumping, that you have the ability to see. You have two eyes, so it helps with depth perception. You can smell. Your skin is perceptive to light. There's so many little, like, incredible miracles in every single moment. Of even just looking at a step in front of you is a gift. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's hard to practice, though, you know, to, uh, unless you have a conscious gratitude practice where you write those down. And there's so much scientific research on the benefits of uh, having a gratitude practice. Uh, um, I think it's hard to be grateful to be able to drive. You know, we end up, you know, one of the things about human beings and our ability to, um, to do things is things become habitualized and through routines, meaning we don't need as much brain power to do them. 
Because imagine if every time you're driving is the first time, like you're so nervous, right? So we, we habitually learn that it becomes a routine so we don't have to have mental focus on that. And I think the same thing happens with those routine things. So my gratitude practice is similar to what you're saying, except for I try to find three things every day mm-hmm. that I'm grateful for. Um, and they're, they're simple things. You know, like, like I just saw your son, you know, and his medal. And to see his face light up when he showed me his medal, that brings me, I'm, I'm grateful that I got to experience that. It's little things. It's the sun, you know, when I'm hiking in the canyon coming over. It's right now, it's the jacaranda trees are in full bloom and it's this beautiful hue of purple. So these are the little things now that I focus on. And these little things are the way you feel happy every day. And when I come across one of these moments, I have a practice that I do uh, to help these moments sink in and register in my body so they just don't go by. Uh, and what I do is I, first of all, I'll say, oh man, that was uh, great to see your son's face smile. I'll say that to myself in my head. And then I'll say, you know, thank you. I'll express gratitude. And then, you know, scientific, the research shows us when we add a physical gesture with a thought, the retention goes up exponentially. So I'll say, oh, Scott, oh, that was great. Then I'll make this sound. I'll go ka-ching. And I'll like pull like I'm pulling down on a slot machine to get that to register with me. So I try to do that three times a day. And I know it sounds stupid. <laughs> you know, this guy walking around going ka-ching like he's in Vegas. And I know it sounds really simple. But the differences in my life have been profound. I am happy every day that I make deposits into my happiness bank. And it's almost like compound interest, Scott. Mm-hmm. You know, you're making these things and it, this happiness just grows and it starts to flow into all other areas of your life. So for listeners out there, it's, I think it's in my book. If not, I, I talk about it in my TED Talk. But find three little things, say them out loud, express gratitude for it, and then go ka-ching. You can borrow my move. I haven't patented it yet. It's free. There's no copyright. Go ka-ching and register in your body and just let yourself do this and it will make a profound difference over time. You're, you're investing, well, First of all, you're, you're completely wealthy and you're rich because you're putting, you're, what's, what's money? It's value, right? In quotes I put. But those moments are value. Those moments are invaluable, if you will. And you're investing those and keeping them. And in, it's compounding. Yeah, and what you focus on in life, I believe, grows. Right? Yeah. You get a new car, you barely never knew how many people had that new car. Until you get your new car, you're like, damn, everyone's got a Tahoe. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's our focus. So I but agree. There's, but there's also a dichotomy in everything. And everything, you can juxtapose anything. But you have a dichotomy of thought, right? You, you have an angel and a devil on your shoulders. You, it's, you're always going to have doubt. There's always going to be those negative thoughts that pop up. or Like if you miss your morning gratitude. Sometimes life is, is rough. Sometimes it, there's, it's chaotic. And sometimes you just got to stop in your car, park, and meditate. Sometimes that's the way it looks. But the important thing is not to, not to be mad about those, not to fight them. Is to, is to fight what? Those, let's say those negative thoughts or a negative doubt. Is Okay, you acknowledge it, but then let it go like a log in a river. Don't let it get in, your, your, in the driver's seat. Right. I, I, agree, I agree with that. I agree with that. There's different techniques that you can use. Sometimes, you, you know, sometimes, like you said, you can pull over and meditate. You can put on a good song. You can dance. You can, or other times you can trick your mind. You know, there's different ways to biohack, you know, life hack your mind into having more positive thoughts. Now, the other part was, uh, was vulnerability is strength. And I think coming from Nitro, 
<laughs> well, hello, Scott. Which, you know, actually, uh, I did like the part in the book where you said that Nitro must die in order for Dan Clark to live. I thought that was interesting. I wrote that down. I thought that was interesting. Well, I think that guy, you know, who was arrogant, who was, you know, what are you looking at me? Uh, who was win at all cost. And that was a lot of it was a character that I played, but so much of my identity was tied to that. Um, I think in order for the human being to emerge the, from that, I had to let him die for a long time. You know, now it's, uh, I'm more comfortable with it in the last few years. You know, it's kind of like something I did. I can, you know, yeah. laugh at it. I can make jokes. I'll even, I even, as you know, I put my spandex on for the first time in 20 years. Yeah. Um, last CrossFit, uh, I think it was last CrossFit Open, just as a, as a way to play and not take myself so seriously. But yeah, there was a time in my life where I really had to distance myself from that idea and that persona so the human being could grow. Yep. And that was just something I want to point out. But you said vulnerability is strength. And I think coming from, I say nitro, but it also represents um, the tough guy masculinity, right? That we don't have emotions and we don't cry. And how it's so important to do so and that it's okay to hurt, that it's okay to feel, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to dance by yourself and be happy. And I think... That's another message in the, that you're really pointing out. It's not just for everybody, but it's also for all those quote-unquote tough guys out there. Sometimes I feel like the tougher the guy, it's almost like they're, 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 there's like an inner dancer that really needs to come out. <laughs> I, I know that. It's funny. All my tough guy friends, and I've been to most of their weddings, they all cry. Yeah. <laughs> the guys who are the tough guys, they don't cry, you know, because we're not holding everything back. You know, I don't know if we're crying at the loss of freedom, <laughs> you know, or what it is, but, you know, uh, most of the tough guys, they, they end up... Uh, uh, end up weeping. I think there's, you know, not a way that we know how to deal with those feelings. You know, for so long, you know, it was programmed into our minds that, um, you know, you were weak and if you were weak, you weren't likable. And if you were weak, you didn't have a sense of worth. And I think we were culturally programmed to feel those feelings, um, that way and to process them that way. But now, you know, for me, I see that the vulnerability in me gives the light a chance to shine. Do you know what I mean? It gets to, you get to see past the persona into the soul, uh, into the light. Yeah. And that, that's, that's where the beauty is. Yeah. You've, you've, you set out to burn bright or die trying. Right. Um, and, and to be a lighthouse. Another thing you also said in there, you said that beauty is not lost on me in the book. So, and I think what you're talking about there is again having gratitude and appreciation for things. Oh, I know what you're talking about, right? Right, right. and then so it was—it's about seeing things with new eyes. Yes, yes. That's what it was, and that's yep. it. The beauty is not lost on me because you know I remember there was a place I used to go to um, over in Santa Monica and sit up there. Uh, I drive by and I never really noticed it. You know, over by the stairs. Ah, okay, I'm at the stairs. I'm here to work out the Santa Monica stairs. I'm here to work out. I'm here to sweat. I'm here to train. Rarely did I look up over at the amazing Pacific Ocean and take right. that in and just express gratitude for it. So after the heart attack, I went back to some of these places and I was like, how did I miss this? Why was I so busy with my head down trying to achieve that I couldn't take five or 10 seconds to take a deep breath in and let this in? Because that's the joy of life. That's 
happiness. That's living in the moment and finding a way to be happy every day without having it be related to some result or achievement. And that's a lot of what we're talking about mm-hmm. here. You know, what are those little things we can shine a light on each day, you know, that make us happy, that make us smile, that we can control. A lot of times we put too much of our happiness in things we can't control. You know, achieving something uh, we can't control in the moment. You know, how many likes we get on a Facebook post. I mean, has he ever done that? Like, oh, I only got 12 likes. Nobody must like me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's interesting. There's things we can do every single day to take back our power, to take back our control, to enjoy, Scott, this journey just a little bit more. I mean, I am pretty much happy every damn day. And it's not like I'm just a happy guy. I have a practice. I work on it. I choose what I focus on. And that, you know, look, I still get upset. I still get, I mean, that, I guess my greatest thing is when a guy pulls, you know, cuts in front of me in traffic. You son of a bit. Oh, wait a second. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, I'm still a work in progress. I think we all are, but I know where I want to go and I know how I want to live and that's where it starts. Which is leading to me to the next part. I don't know if you see up there on my sword here, but that strength is a choice. And what do you mean by that? So what do you mean by that? So the strength part, well, the strength part is going to be subjective here because I also have it up there. Strength could be the strength to, to wield a sword, right? And also the strength not to. So strength goes in every single direction. So what I mean by that is you're making a conscious effort to look up and appreciate the ocean, right? So right there, that's an example of strength is a choice. You're choosing to be a little bit stronger because you're doing it through gratitude and appreciation for the sights that you have, the ability to see and smell things, but also um, choosing to forgive, choosing to love, choosing to smile at people deliberately. That's a whole other scientific experiment that I would like people to know. So if you can tell them that, because I'd like people to start trying that. <laughs> so there's a couple things about smiling. And again, these are these simple little things that we don't think about much. But I read this, uh, an article, uh, I'm always researching, and it was about how many times kids smile a day. On average, kids smile 400 times a day. And if you look at most babies, I believe you know they're born happy. Um, and I think we're all born happy. But if you look at adults... Can you guess how many times that the average adult smiles a day? 87. 25. Dang. 25. So you have these happy little babies smiling 40 times, and you have most of us smiling 25 times a day. And if you're a dude, it's, you know, macho dude, it's probably less. But the interesting thing about the biochem, uh, the bio, what am I, what am I looking for? The, the physical biochemical yeah, reactions the, to a smile. Epinephrine? No, no. So the the interesting thing about the smile, when you smile, you contract your two main smiling muscles. I think it's a zygomatic major and one other. Uh, And when you do that, it sends a signal to your brain to release dopamine. Now, when dopamine or serotonin is released in your brain, it in turn sends you a signal to smile. So once you smile, it's like this endless loop of, oh, I smile, I feel good, I feel good, I smile. And the other thing about smiling is that when you smile at somebody, there's a neuron in their brain, they're called motor neurons, which can cause them to smile back. There was a big study at Uppsala University in Sweden that said, oh, these motor neurons. So by a simple thing, smiling more, 
you make yourself happier biologically and you affect the world. I know it's very vast, but you affect the world when you smile to other people because it causes them to smile back. So I, what I did is I did a test. I ran around LA, yep. Scott, and it I did a it. ripple effect of happiness. Keeps a ripple effect of happiness. So what I did is I, I did a test and I said, gosh, how many times do I smile a day? So I got a clicker and I went out on one day and I started walking around and seeing like, every time I smile, I click. It was kind of skewed, you know, because I would smile and make me yeah. smile. <laughs> and I would smile at someone and they would smile back at me and I realized I had a, I had a clicker. But what I did, you know, in LA, you know, it was pretty safe, no restraining orders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and most people I smiled at, you know, were, were smiled back. But I realized that I smiled a lot. I smiled 287 times a day. So I was like, whoa, I'm almost as good as a kid. <laughs> so that's part of your homework assignment is to, to do that. Um, you know what else? And I also want to throw this out there to people. And I wasn't going to tell anyone. So if you're listening and you get a random text message from me, now you know why. And that is... Jump on your phone, go to your contacts, do one gigantic scroll, and then whoever it, whatever people it lands on there, send one of those person a gratitude and appreciation text. I love that. Out of the blue. I love that. And then go two more swipes, send it to a second person, and then do three swipes, and then send it to a third person. I love that. And try to do that. Well, I put this. I'm not going to make it hard. Do it once. To do it once, right? Do it once. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I believe in lifting other people up and I think the effects are profound. And what really helped me cement this idea was something that the Dalai Lama said. And I talked about this in my second book and I also talked about it in the Ted talk and what the Dalai Lama said, he said that in every human interaction we have, we have the choice to make a person happier or less happy. Now, when you let that really sink in, it's profound because if you think about all the interactions you have each day with your family, with your friends at work, uh, at the grocery store, getting Starbucks, walking down the street, you think of all the interactions that you have every day. When you think of life this way, it gives each of us tremendous personal power because most of us think like, oh, I'm just one person. How can I make a difference? Right? But when you look back at all those interactions and if a few of them, just in a few of them, if you made the conscious decision, like at the grocery store, to lift your head up from your damn cell phone, acknowledge the human being in front of them, and say something to lift them up, the impact would be profound. There's a scientific term called upstream reciprocity. And what upstream reciprocity means is that when you're kind to somebody, when you lift them up, when you encourage them, there's a greater likelihood that they will go on and do the same. And so the way this works in real life, Scott, you know, someone goes home and they empower and lift up their daughter. Their daughter feels empowered, so she goes to school and she empowers her friends. Her friends feel empowered, so they go to school and empower their friends and their family and it creates this, like we talked about, mm -hmm. giant ripple effect of happiness in a world I think that desperately needs it. And it also gives each of us the ability and responsibility to change the world one human interaction at a time. And the lesson you were talking about, you know, boom, you go down and you lift somebody up. Yep. That's how you're doing it. Yep. It's, uh, you know, you're, you're being a beacon of light for others. You're, you're also learning about yourself and making your light, your internal light brighter for others to find um, in the darkness, especially the ones that are looking for it. Yeah, you know, a thought just came to mind. I think the, I was thinking about relationships and 
I think the biggest thing, and this is just out of the blue, that's helped me. I don't know why looking at you and I started thinking about relationships. I was going to go, I was going to relationships next. (laughs) The one thing I notice in in relationships is, um, I think that's helped me in my, and I learn and grow from each relationship, uh, is conflict resolution skills. You know, we, we, I've never had them. My conflict resolution skills were, I'm done talking, walk away. And you know, or I, I'm not getting into this, you know, or stonewalling. I didn't have conflict resolution skills and investing in those in the last four or five years, you know, through reading, through personal practice with my therapist, it's made such a profound difference in my relationships with, you know, my significant others, especially the one, you know, the most, uh, your girlfriend, your wife, uh, your husband, whoever it may be. It's uh, something everyone should look into. If you've never heard the term, it simply means how do you resolve conflict when you come to it in your relationships? And once you first, in my opinion, seek to understand, everything changes. And you start talking about this. So a lot of times in relationships, you'll see that you get an argument, it, depending on your, your style, then you won't talk for an hour, a day, a couple days, three days. Sometimes people like are mad for two, three days. Oh my God, life is too short, man. Work on your conflict resolution skills. So whatever it is, that person needs a, a breath of air to come back, you use your words. You don't stonewall. You don't say, I, I can't talk. You say, you know what? I, I hear what you're saying and I, I want to figure this out. I'm a little upset. I just need to step away for a minute, okay? You let the person know where you're at. And the idea is to shorten that conflict resolution time so you can enjoy more of the good times, the good stuff. Yep, yep. So a couple, I mean, this is this going to branch off to a whole other stuff. I know we're pressed for time here, but uh, you seek to understand then to be understood. The other thing is, and this is something... I'm constantly learning, and that is try not to win. You're not winning. Try to try to understand, especially if it's with somebody that you chose specifically of all the people in the whole wide world, yes. you chose this person to be on your preach, team. brother, preach. Yes. You chose them to be on your team. This is your squad. Try to really understand. There's no right or wrong because you guys are a team. Additionally, I mean, I can go on and on, but there's also, I was just talking to my wife about this last night, about the different love languages. Oh, yeah. There's uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, yes. Yeah, you can get in. And so my wife's love language is different than mine, and this is something we've learned. And yes. So that's a whole other topic. If you guys, we're not going to get into it now, but look at look into it, but I will leave you with the uh, little homework again, is try not to win, try to understand. Well, you know, one of the things, you know, I have like five or six, seven main things that I changed in my life five, six, seven points I changed in my life after the heart attack. And one of them was I no longer waste time on things that aren't important with people who are. And we get so lost in like, you know, the little conversations, the little arguments that don't really mean anything. Like you're saying, I made the choice and it's a work in progress, but I made the choice to try to be happy instead of right. And when you do this with your, with your significant other, it can't come off condescending. You can't be sure, honey, whatever you say. That's condescending. You know, it's like, okay, that works for me. Uh, let's do this. You yeah. also, also, when you win, you lose. And I, what I mean by that, if you win, if you're trying to win against that per, someone else, they hurt. They feel bad. They feel defeat. Well, I think we have to redefine what win means. So when you win, I think redefining that, Scott, like we win. You just have to think, yeah. of, okay, how can it be a we win? Yes. And I never say, I never say compromise because when, when I have a conversation, because compromise means giving something up. I always say collaborate. 
And it just changes the way you feel about something. Oh, instead of I'm going to give this up and you're going to give this up so we get X, when you use the word collaborate, it's like you and I are going to work together to get X. You know, it's all about win-win. Yep. That's happiness. Surrender your ego. That's... (laughs) <laughs> that's just hard to do, that, bro. Guys. Yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah j- just that. Yeah, just do it's that. It's so hard. It's um, so hard. Before I go to this next page, because I want to try and close out here, because I know you have to go, is it, you talked about being a lighthouse, um, you know, you're setting out to burn bright, and you're inspiring others. Um, and so one of the reasons, if you see that, this my lighthouse picture up here, but I also want to make sure I gave you this, because it's in my hand, but this is the Sisue coin, so thank you. And also on the back is a lighthouse. There's in a storm, there's waves, a whole lot of symbolism there. You probably need your glasses. But that's a token and of gratitude and also an invitation to always be part of the greater community of what we're trying to do on the CCUA, which is paralleling your message as well. Mm, I like this. This is very, very cool. Um, also on the back, this back page here is when I was reading F Dying, I highlighted all kinds of stuff. And I've, I've already read it three times. Wow, I'm great. Well, so you guys at home, it's a short book. There's not a lot of big words, <laughs> but it's packed with meaning. I used all the yeah. big words I know. I think there was five, three five-syllable words. That's too much. <laughs> no, but so look, this is, I felt like writing down the words that stood out to me. And so. Well, thank first, you for taking the time to do that. That's, I know time is uh, our well, greatest asset. But then again, the stuff that I'm doing, I'm doing uh, on purpose and with meaning and I don't just read, I study. And so it's a, you know, I re- I'm, this thing is going to be memorized. But I wrote down on this paper, and if you look at it, the first line here is, it's difficult to find strength in adversity, which obviously is a big, gigantic definition of the Sisu way. But the words that stood out to me were human spirit, persevere, transformed. Happiness, gift, life, worth living. Gratitude, appreciate, surrender, peacefulness. Spirit, vulnerability, beauty, happy. Shine, light, positive experiences, choose, alive, meditation, beacon, love, believe, learn, play, laughter, fun. And then his own line here was pray, and then over here is God. Connected, honor, hope, redemption, dance, soul, smile, feel, power, do, brave, courage, passion, people, choice, moments. Now oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> to see it like that. I've never seen it like that. That's fantastic. And this is all in order that it's just been lifted onto my paper here. Oh, that's very cool. Um, I might have to make like a poster of that. <laughs> that's good. You know, I was thinking, I was, I was picturing one of those, you know, like the kind of similar like to Like your CSU, yes. Yeah, kind of like the CSU Way poster over there. I'll take a picture of this and I'll send it to you. Because yeah, this can be cool. rearranged and there's a whole story here. Um, I think the one thing we didn't really, t- we talked a lot about, the one thing we didn't talk about is surrender. Yes. Yep. You know, and what does surrender mean? So I didn't really understand because I came from a culture, well, the American culture where, you know, it was win, success, win, 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 win. You play a game to win. Um, You box to win. So it's all about winning. You go to win and get the job. And I didn't understand surrender because to me, surrender felt like giving up. But where I learned about surrender was when I was at urgent care after I had the heart attack, 
Now, remember, I went to urgent care because, you know, I'm <laughs> that tough guy that could never have a heart attack. You know, your chest is like squeezing. You can't breathe. You're buckled over. But no, it's not a heart attack. So my friend Ben Ciccarelli took me to urgent care. And I remember being there. And the doctor said, we need to call, you know, put the EKG on. It says you're having a heart attack. And um, we need to call the ambulance. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not paying five grand, you know, uh, to have them drive me 10 minutes. My buddy Ben can take me to the hospital. And then uh, doctor said, no, no, I, I, you can't do that. I said, no, I'm, we're doing it, you know, Ben. And he said, no, listen to me. He said, if you die on the way to the hospital, it shouldn't be up to your friend to resuscitate you. Yeah, that's messed up. <laughs> if, you, if you messed up to Ben. Yeah. <laughs> so right then, at that moment is when I surrendered. I just let go. And I surrendered to, you know, letting the ambulance pick me up to the sounds of the sirens, to the paramedics, you know, putting the mask over my face and shoving things in my mouth. I just surrendered to the experience. And in that moment, I realized that how much in life we try to control everything, you know, what we eat, what we do, where we drive, what we wear. And very rarely do we surrender. But I can tell you, even though I was having a heart attack and, and dying, when I surrendered, I felt a deep sense of profound personal peace I hadn't felt in a long time. And I now realize that surrender is a paradox. You know, sometimes we have to surrender in order to win. Because who knows, if I wouldn't have surrendered and I would have said, no, Ben's taken me to the hospital and I would have been stubborn and tough and macho, I may not be here with you today. You know, so sometimes we have to surrender to win. And that's what I mean by having the strength not to wield a sword. Because I think it's harder not to. That's the way of the samurai. Musashi, yep. the five mm -hmm. rings. Yep. It's actually behind me on my bookshelf up there. Uh, if you actually listen to those words, this is for the listeners, try to think about something right now that is some, some sort of emotional armor that you're holding or blocking you from truly smiling and being free. Sometimes, um, this is a whole other topic, but if we could, if I could point somebody in the right direction, and then, and then you're probably gonna agree with me here, and that is for people to find that peace and to find that surrendering and to find that internal source of power would be to sit down, deliberate breathing, and do some meditating. That is such an underutilized tool especially in our age here with all this concrete and noise and technology. Well, and on top of that, especially with the science behind it now. I mean, it's proven. No, there, mean, there's, yeah. there, there's science behind it. One of the things that's killing us is cortisol. It's the increased stress. You know, we're, we have that lizard brain, the amygdala, and when we get any kind of stress in our life, we don't know if it's the lion chasing us across the, the, the prairie our body reacts the same way when we get in traffic, when we're stressed, when we're trying to hurry, when we worry about money, it creates all this cortisol. Cortisol creates inflammation in the body, which then allows disease to come in. There's enough scientific research out there that talks about meditation, breathing, slowing your heart rate, relaxing your body, and all the benefits it can have for not only your well, sense of well-being, but for your health. It's almost like the opposite. You know, I was talking mm -hmm. to someone about this today. They're like, 
yeah, do you remember like when everybody smoked? And I was like, yeah, it's like, we just thought it was okay. And now like nobody hardly smokes and that's a great thing. But I feel like that time is here now for that next revolution to be. And it's going to be through meditation and it's going to be something that it's going to be something that we're going to do ourselves. It's all there. And the science has proved it with brain scans and all this and that. Yep. I'm actually taking a Wim Hof course tomorrow. That's so exciting, man. Have you tried his, his uh, mm -hmm. yeah, stuff? His stuff's really, really cool. Yep. Yep. Uh, and it's, uh, my buddy is, is actually doing the course or putting it. So on. if Wim Hof, you don't know who he is. Wim Hof is the guy who does the deep breathing, who does on the ice and they've, tested him and he's run marathons up in Alaska with only like tennis shoes and a shirt on. And he's taken the Mount the, Everest, Mount Everest, Kilimanjaro. I don't th did he do Mount Everest? I thought it was Kilimanjaro. Mount Everest. Okay. Uh, so he, I think he did a base camp run. Yeah. I don't think he actually summited. Uh, anyway, but he's just this remarkable individual who has a breathing practice and through cold, how he's been able to heal and cure all these different ailments. And, uh, it, it's remarkable because part of he talks about is it stimulates the pineal gland, which is for all these other benefits to your body, but really cool. Yeah. I just saw an MRI scan, uh, of the, what of the brain and how it actually moves during a, a deliberate breathing practice. Yeah. So, I mean, the science is there yep. and, and the science about the cold, which you do with Wim Hof is there too. Yep. That's the whole thing about the cold showers in the morning as an yeah. epinephrine that it stimulates. And yeah. I mean, there's a long list cold, cold. It's based, based on three pillars breathing, cold exposure, and, and mindset slash commitment. Yeah. What, what is his book? It's called Wim Hof, uh, well, right? Well, it's the Wim Hof Method. The Wim Hof Method, right, yeah. I read, yeah. I read it. It was good, and I practice it. Well, one of these days, maybe I'll just do a deliberate episode on... No, you need to get Wim in here. Yeah, yeah, from a... Po yeah. No, he comes and does oh, podcasts all the yeah, time. You just absolutely. need to get him in, or you need to go find him, because he's a remarkable man. He's got good information. Yep. In fact, in the meantime, and once I get him here from overseas, but he was on the Lewis Howes podcast. And there's two videos out there. There's a 20-minute video and then a, his actual podcast. So if you want to check that out, it's pretty interesting. And if you're kind of lost and not know what to do, if you don't have a practice out there, it's a very good way to, to learn. And it's, it's deliberate. There's apps out there. There's guided stuff. So, so check it out. Well, again, thank you. And will you share with the listeners what your tattoo says? So this is uh, the tattoo I got after I had a heart attack. I was uh, 50 years old when I got this tattoo. I never got a tattoo because my mind changes too much. <laughs> I never really wanted something on my body, you know, that uh, knowing that how much I changed. So after I had the heart attack, I had this um, dream. And in this dream, I was um, by a river in Japan, and I was standing under the cherry blossom trees, and there was a Zen master who was talking to me. And what he said to me when I was asking him about my heart attack, and he said, look, he said, life is not lost by dying. Life is lost minute by minute, day by day, by not really living. So life is not lost by dying. Life is lost minute by minute, day by day, by not really living. And I remember what an impact it had on me in my dream. So I came back, um, and I came back, I woke up and the next day I went down to the tattoo parlor and uh, I put those words from my dream across my arm as a reminder to that. And, and I guess the biggest reminder is that time isn't guaranteed. Yep. And in that reminder is just a reminder to, to live each moment fully. So speaking of time, um, I definitely want to thank the listeners for 
spending time with us and hopefully this has been a something you've gotten a little bit of more light or perspective out of also thank you dan for coming for driving oh, the la freeways and i know you have to get back on the la freeways which is by the way a great opportunity to listen to things and learn that's you, you know that there's a chapter in the book that t- talks about perspective and uh, when we get into those moments with traffic uh, look at it as a time to learn you know, I always put on my favorite podcasts or put on a radio show or a YouTube video. And uh, I look at it as an opportunity and a treat to dive deeper into something I'm interested about. I actually listened to a lot of TED Talks there. Yeah, you listened to my TED Talk I there. I did. Yes. Yeah. You got to see the visual. I did. The, the visual is everything. Oh, yeah. The visual. Oh, my oh, God. My the gosh, visual. You got to see the visual. Man oh, there. man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, where can the listeners, well, is the TED Talk out for the public yet? So by the time this comes out in a week, this the oh, okay. TED Talk Perfect. will be up. Uh, I'll send you a link. They can find me at Dan Nitro Clark on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, there'll be links to my book. Uh, there's a website and all that good stuff. You can find me. Awesome. And if you guys are listen, interested in the Sisu Way poster, uh, canvas, framed work, go to the sisuway.com and click on store tab. Um, it's great for gyms, kids' rooms, um, I have it right next to my pull-up bar, so every time I'm doing pull-ups, I can stare at it. It makes work. Unconquerable soul. Yeah, that's right. And, that con- and unconquerable soul is actually um, taken from that Invictus poem over there. Anyways, you can find the show, thecsuway.com um, on the internet, and the Way on Instagram. And I am at one Scott McGee. Um, doing this has been an absolute privilege and honor and I spent I really really enjoy the process not just the recording that you guys hear but the entire process before and after the actual episodes I think we hit this with as much um, passion and empathy and and soul that we can so I hope you guys enjoy it and if you do enjoy it if you don't mind hop on iTunes give the show a review um, say what you want give it the amount of stars you want I'm not going to tell you to give five stars because I'd be cheating but if you feel like it um, please hook us up and share yeah, share. When you find something that moves you, I have a good habit of it. I have a habit of doing this, and I'm proud of myself for doing it because it takes a moment. But when I find something that moves me, when I find something that's inspired me, I share it. You know, we're too busy sharing like what this president did or what mm-hmm. this bad thing happened. You read a clip, you read something in a book, take a picture of it, share it. You see a video that inspires you, you hear a podcast that inspires you, share it. We need to get and spread the things we want in our life and the good messages and the inspirational things we hear. And also, Scott, I like the way you have, you do the same thing I do. As I look around here, I see all these different sayings here. You know, get up strong. I see the vulnerability. And I I do the same thing. So that's one thing is just a reminder to keep me on track all the time. I have those little things, you know, printed out everywhere around my house, on my phone. Just a reminder to keep me on track and keep me positive. We need those reminders. So put them up around you if you have them. Yep. Actually, every single piece in here inspires me. And if it doesn't, it's not in here. Yeah, well, what's the difference between inspire and motivation? I was having this conversation this morning, inspiration and motivation. Well, I think it's going to be subjective without jumping on my google and looking it up. Um, I think motivation helps you um, drive forward into something that you might need a push into. Like you may be motivated to get up early. You know what I mean? So I might not want to get up early. I might need the motivation to get up early. Inspiring might be, hey, you should get up at six to come see the sunset. Now all of a sudden, I'm inspired to get up at six because I want to see the sunset. So we or, use. Sorry, the, so we use. I got you. Mean so yeah. we use inspiration to fuel our motivation. 
what you're saying. Something inspires you, and that fuels our motivation to go do it. So inspiring is more of a vision, uh, like a spiritual inner sense, right? You you hear, you see the movie Rudy, yep. and you're inspired because of what Rudy did. And then in that turn, perhaps that motivates you to go out yeah. and do something. Yeah. Right? Maybe. I'm trying to figure yeah. those two out. Yeah. But I, I know the key in anything in life is to figure out how to motivate people to take those steps to live the life of the dreams. What are those steps? You know, because we all know what to do. Most of us do. We know what to do. We're a Google search away from like better health, more happiness. Mm -hmm. And then we can always say like we talked, when I do this tomorrow, then we get up tomorrow, we don't feel like doing it. If we can just figure out, Scott, you and me here in the Sisu way, how to give people activation energy to actually do the things they know they need to do to improve their life then we have answered the question yep. of life. Well, speaking of things that are around me, in my post over here, I always end the show with, remember that health is wealth, vulnerability is strength, and strength is a choice. So get up strong and be unconquerable. <laughs>